The Axe of the Blood God. <laughs> Welcome to another episode of Axe of the Blood God, U.S. Gamer's official RPG podcast. I'm your host, Kat Bailey, and with me today is Associate Editor Mike Williams. How you doing, folks? Today, we're going to be talking about newly released RPGs, Tales of Zisteria. Is it Zisteria? Yeah, I got it right. I was like, Zisteria? Zisteria? Like... I can't keep t- the tales as made up words um, straight in my head sometimes, but I, I think yes. the next one is Tales of Besteria. No way, Besteria, something like that. So well, we've cause... had Exilia and Vesperia. What What about the days when it used to be Tales from the Abyss and Tales of Destiny? You know, like words that actually made sense. I, I think they're just having fun right now. You know. Like they do, as Sarah want to do. But we're going to talk about that, and then Bob is going to come on the show, and we're going to talk a little bit about Dragon Quest Heroes, which is RPG-like. It's an RPG-like substance that comes from a very popular RPG, and also happens to be the first Dragon Quest in a little while to come out in the U.S., which is kind of depressing when you think about it. But in any case, we'll have some thoughts on that. But let's start with Tales of Zisteria. Mike, you know, despite the fact that you're actually probably the biggest anime fan on staff, um, you're a regular at Otakon and that kind of thing, um, you are not super familiar with the Tales series. So I- I'm kind of, like, curious, like, what did you think? Uh, I mean, I liked it. Um like I said in the the review, like uh, the the combat's really nice, and the the other gameplay systems that that like all feed into it need some work. Uh, there are definitely some issues, but the game's cast was really enjoyable. It, it really pushed the game over the top, uh, and I I think uh, the Tales development team knows this because there's a lot of uh, vignettes and skits where all of the cast pretty much interacts with each other like after every battle they it puts up a little skit where they sometimes congratulate each other or talk about something completely unrelated to the combat uh at any save point you can uh click in the uh analog stick and see like a skit where they just talk about stuff so uh, the series as a game is decent, but what puts it over the top for me, what really made it enjoyable was the cast itself. You know, that is also like one of the things that I've always liked about the Tales games. Not so much the cast, which usually is pretty like paper thin in their characterization, but just the, the different little goofy conversations that they have. It reminds me of like, the conversations that you can have with your characters in Dragon Quest, um, and also the conversations that you can have in... I'm trying to think of the game, but unfortunately, it has just left my mind. Dragon Age? I mean, yeah, Dragon Age is another example. But I'm just... 
Oh, Final Fantasy IX with the little vignettes that you have. I don't know if you've played Final Fantasy IX, but... I have played Final Fantasy IX. The f- my single favorite thing about Final Fantasy IX is when you're like, you'll be running around in town or something and you'll get a pop-up saying, something's happening with your other characters. You'll be like, oh, what's going on? And then you'll get an often hilarious vignette uh, involving Steiner or something. So I... I really enjoy the just little conversations that they have in the Tales games. But can you, like, who's your favorite character? Uh, who's your favorite, like, sub-character and why? In this? See, and that's the thing. Like, each character on their own is pretty tropey. Like, there's no character that I, like, look to and I'm like, that character right there uh does something for me above all else it's how at least for me how they all interact together like they seem like they're having a lot of fun so i feel like the tales team and the voice actors had a lot of fun creating all these interactions yeah um i think that's the tales series in general right it's supposed to be kind of um I've characterized it as RPG comfort food in the past. Um, and, and when I said on Twitter, I was like, yeah, this is the first time I'm playing a Tales game. Because, uh, fun fact, inside bit, Jeremy was supposed to actually review this. And womp, something womp. came up. So I ended up uh, getting it. Not because I particularly wanted to. It's just it happened. It fell on my lap. And I've done enough RPGs that I felt I could talk about it confidently. But I said on Twitter it was my first one. And uh, Elliot who I believe you've had on the podcast before, right? Uh, Elliot Gay? Yes, yes. I have. Uh, he called it uh, Anime of the JRPG. Uh, yep, that sounds about right. Which is a 100% accurate uh, telling of it. So uh, that it, it's it, it feeds into a lot of anime tropes, a lot that we've seen over time, especially recently with a lot of light novel adaptations. So there are certain characters that fit into certain character slots. Um, but when you bring it all together, it, it's just a lot of fun. Um, and you could probably get that in an anime straight. I said that at the end of the review, but there's more interaction that you'll see in the game than could probably be fit in a linear show. Yeah, at this point, Namco Bandai definitely has a formula that works for their games and they have a core fan base that has been around since Symphonia um, and Bandai Namco knows they have a pretty good idea of what they're going to get out of every game. So they're, they seem pretty content to continue relying on that formula, um, which in some ways is disappointing because you'd like to see a established franchise be a little more, adventurous um, than the Tales games tend to be, especially since uh, the Tales games are one of the few uh, secondary, like, secondary RPGs, uh, JRPGs that made it into HD. But at the same time, um, you characterized the Tales of Zestiria as a kind of a palate cleanser, right? Uh, a game that is not going to be, like, super challenging or anything, but it's fun. It's, it's something to do in between your like 
your Dragon Ages and your and your Fallout Fours. Yeah, no, it's 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 a very light, fun, easy game. It doesn't uh, really try to be far more than what it is. Like I, it, I get the feeling that, like you said, they know what they're trying to get out of it, and they aim directly at it. And for me, especially during review seasons, I tend to jump uh, from the larger titles to larger titles. So I, I actually uh, I went from Zysteria straight into Assassin's Creed, and I'm kind of blanking on what I had before then. But I, I do a lot of AAA titles, so for me it's like, okay, well, here's a chance to sort of relax a bit before I jump on to the next really big uh, AAA game or open world title or Western RPG or whatever. So it was really different in the midst of my review season for me. Yeah, and when you were ta- we were talking before this podcast, you said that the reactions that fans had in the comments to your review kind of reminded you of the reaction, or kind of reminded you of how fans are reacting to Assassin's Creed, right? Yeah, so it's like you talk about that core, like uh, Bandai Namco understands uh, what Tales is, and they really can't deviate from that too far without really angering their fan base. Assassin's Creed is in that same boat. Like, they can graft stuff onto the same basic engine that they have, but they can't go too far uh, afield, otherwise they'll lose the the huge mainstream audience that they have. Uh, I mean, Tails doesn't have a huge mainstream audience, but you get the idea. Um, but, yeah, there's there's definitely... There are some players who are like, well, I mean, this is exactly the same, and there was some fatigue there. So I was surprised when I put up the Tales of Zisteria review to see people like, oh, it's a Tales game. Uh, some people uh, expressed that they disliked that it was just a Tales game, while others were just like, oh, yeah, no, it sounds like a Tales game. I'll be picking it up. Uh, and... That's perfectly fine. I, I I actually have no problem with that. Again, I'm a, a big Assassin's Creed fan, and sometimes it's hard when I get a new one to be like, well, I mean, it's Assassin's Creed. Uh, you know what you're getting into. What did you think of the battle system? Um, you seem to uh, more or less enjoy the kind of uh, action-y, combo-based uh, system that's also kind of... It's not turn-based per se, but it's, if I recall my Tales games correctly, like you have a X number of AP to like do actions and then you're trying to combo up, right? Uh, they're, uh, S, it's, it's SC now. It's kind of like a, almost oh, an MP system, mm-hmm. uh, where every action costs SC and when you are not doing things, SE fills at a steady rate. Um, and when you're at the higher part of the SC bar, actions uh, do more damage. So the idea is you do stuff to maximize a combo, but you try to keep your SC gauge uh, on the higher half. Uh, which is harder in the early game, but, but 
the once you get a bunch of once you get your full party, it's it, it becomes much easier to start managing that stuff. Um, how much? Or what are the boss fights like in this one? Um, it's like usually in a game like this, you are able to grind through random encounters relatively quickly, and then it's when you get to a boss that the strategy gets a little deeper. Does is the strategy somewhat deep when you're fighting a boss, or is it kind of a hack slash hack slash hack slash until the boss is dead? Uh, I wouldn't say it's deep. It's definitely harder. I mean, most of the deeper, game, yeah, deeper. Um, most of the game's combat is actually pretty light and easy. Um, you can bust through a lot of fights, and actually, uh, you can turn it on auto and let the computer handle everything and most of the time it'll be just fine um boss fights are harder uh because one they have a ton more hp uh and other attacks that you need to dodge and two um they tend to rely on you focusing on whatever their elemental weakness is um but the game adds this this new system um, called armatization, where it's, it's really odd. So the game's party, like you have four characters in your party on the battlefield at any one time. Um, but only two of those are human characters. The other two are seraphim, which are the, the game's weird elemental spirit thing. And you confuse a human with a seraphim for a more powerful anime style uh this is my final form look uh most bosses require like if a boss is weak to fire then you fuse with the fire seraphim and you just pretty much use this super form to exploit the boss's weakness and that's most of the strategy fair enough <laughs> um, but you weren't you weren't too high on the progression though Oh, it is. It was probably the most obtuse. I, I said this in the the most obtuse and confusing progression system uh, I've ever played in an RPG. Um, because you have leveling, uh, normal leveling, you get XP, you level up, yay. Uh, but that's not as important as the stuff that you equip. So you have items that you can equip that add stats, but then these items also have skills on them and the skills work together in a skill grid. And if you have certain skills, uh, in patterns, like, you know, all vertical on one line or two on the same, or you get extra bonuses to skills and those bonuses are key to doing really well in the game. So what you'll do, instead of just, uh, you know, moving to a new region, hey, here's some, the, the brand new next level of gear. You won't just equip all of the best next level stuff. You'll instead look for, oh, well, this item has this skill and this item has this skills. So you'll end up holding on to gear that in other RPGs you would have gotten rid of a long time ago because it's so weak because you want the bonuses that come from the skills synergizing. And it encourages you to hold on to your vendor trash. Yes. And, and the fusing system I like because you, if you get a bunch of vendor trash with the same name, you can fuse it into a better item. But 
you never really feel like you're moving forward. Like that, the, the, the reason the, the straightforward RPG progression system of, Hey, here's a new area. Here's new gear. You put on the new gear. You look better. You're more powerful is because that's a satisfying progression. You're moving from point A to point B. Whereas in Tales of Hysteria, you're kind of wearing this hodgepodge of different gear and you never quite know what level of like performance you're going to be at. It's it's just really, I'm sure like Tales fans probably love it and are used to it, but it, it just felt so odd to me. You know, while you were talking about this, I was trying to think of the most obtuse progression system that I've seen in an RPG and the, I don't know. The the answer that comes most readily to mind is probably Final Fantasy VIII, just by virtue of the fact that it's the only game I can think of where you have to draw out spells and attach them to individual stats with different like status effects and elemental effects, um, changing the nature of like how you're going to attack, it, and then in addition to the summons that you can attack, that you can equip that give you different passive abilities. Now that, that is a convoluted system. Uh, yeah. And the, the real problem with, with FF8 system was the fact that you had to grind. You use apparently you had to draw grind just to like maximize all of those stats. So a little bit. I mean, but the, the, but it means that you don't have to like just sit there and fight enemies instead. Like, if you know where to find the right spells, um, you can draw even just a few of them and get a massive bump in your stats. Um, the real, the real trick in Final Fantasy VIII, which is not something I realized at first, is that there are points where you get cards, um, and if you break down those cards and refine them into materials, um, you can attach those to your stats, and it's way better than just sitting there and drawing spells out um but the game doesn't really tell you that so a lot of people are just like well i'm sitting here drawing a hundred fires and i'm really bored yeah no it's it's just yeah no it was i I remember just draw grinding in in that game so much and and see i even like that better than than tails tails's uh system and even beyond the skills, there's there's titles. Each character has character-specific titles. And then all of your gear also, as you use it, gets better. Like your proficiency in that item goes up. So, like, let's say you have a five-star older item that has one skill that you need, and then you get a new item that has a better skill that works in your grid much better. You have to start from the bottom on that new item, and then you're, ah, it's just, like, I got it. I was just like, this is not, it's not intuitive, it's not enjoyable, I'm not, I'm not satisfied by this. Well, we've been kind of, we, we've been a little bit down on Tales, I feel like, um, in this discussion, but ultimately, would you recommend Tales of Hysteria? For a specific type of person. <laughs> um, what is, describe this person to me. <laughs> if you watch anime 
and you enjoy anime or you're a Tales fan, you will enjoy this game. It is for, uh, as we said in the beginning, uh, Namco, uh, Namco Bandai, Bandai Namco, uh, I forget which one it is now, um, knows their audience. If you are an avid anime fan, I urge you to at least try Tales of Zisteria. Um, if you're a Tales fan, from what I've heard from other Tales fans, it's a Tales game. Um, I'm not so much seeing people who are like Witcher fans or, <laughs> <laughs> no. or, or, or anything like that looking at this and saying, wow, that's a great game. Playing Devil's Advocate, The Witcher, at least in terms of the tone of its storytelling, in some ways has more in common with um, the Tales series than you think. Um, I'm thinking specifically of the scene where Geralt is getting like the haircut or whatever. Um, very slapstick. It would fit in perfectly in Tales. Yeah, there's some stuff like that. You definitely get a feeling when, uh, especially when Geralt uh, interacts with uh, characters that he has interacted with before. Uh, you get that sense of friendship and camaraderie, or at least understanding, which is very strong here in Tales. Indeed. Well, as an anime fan, I, I'm curious, um, what about anime in particular does Tales of Sisteri kind of capture? Uh, uh, it's not just the character designs. There's a specific set of tropes. Um, like when I was describing, uh, Edna, who is the earth seraphim, uh, I called her a kudere, which, uh, is a specific anime trope, sort of a, a quieter standoffish character. Uh, and that's one of the, that's one of the things that, like, I can say to another anime fan, oh, this is, this character is a yandere or a sundere, which is a, a pretty big one, or, uh, this is the, the extra straight friend or, or something like that, and anime fans will get it immediately. Um. Yeah, I like anime and I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so you're like next level like saying uh anime fan though mike so <laughs> yeah it's just uh, like every every entertainment medium has a certain a certain vocabulary tropes yeah and and vocabulary and if you are a, another fan you can just say oh hey it's like this and that fan will get you and oh it's like saying such and such is a red shirt it's Correct. Like the, the vocabulary. 100%. Uh. 100%. Um, and Tales of Zisteria definitely feeds into how it makes all of its characters and how it presents them into that sort of, oh, hey, this is like this character from this anime or this specific trope. Um, and it's very easy to talk about that with other anime fans. Well, Tales of Zisteria came out a couple days ago. It's now in stores, so if you're interested, you can go buy it. Um, if you're still on the fence, well, go check out Mike's review 
on US Gamer, which will be linked in the show notes. Mike, thanks so much for coming on the show, and good luck the rest of the way in the review season. Thank you, thank you, and hopefully I'll talk to you guys later at some point. I'm here now with Bob Mackey, who just got back from Portland at the, what was it, the Retro Game Expo in the Pacific Northwest. Um, what was the name of the event? It was the Retro, uh, sorry, the Portland Retro Games Expo. And uh, thanks to everyone who said hi to me there, I, I met a lot of new friends who like uh, Retronauts and who like uh, US Gamer and everything like that. Not to get too far out of off track or anything, but we were just talking about how Portland's a pretty cool city and it has the best arcade i've been in the best retro arcade i've been in yeah i mean like I, I would expect there to be better arcades in the bay area but there really aren't and portland is all about like beer arcades and pinball it's great yeah they're the best you can kind of do is brocade and brocade is not bad because you can get actually very good beer there but the games are kind of an afterthought and they're sticky and they're not well maintained yeah is that, is that in the city itself yeah, it's in the Castro on okay, the market. Okay, that's right, yeah. I, I, it was a little expensive, but not, you know, insane. But yeah, that's a pretty good place. Yeah, if you um, ever get up to Portland, definitely check out Ground Control. This has been a Ground Control advertisement. They're not sponsoring us, but I was <laughs> they, just really... I just really liked them when I went there. They helped with our Retronauts meetup that we had out there, so uh, they were great. This is an endorsement. Well, now that you're back to Civilization... Let's talk a little bit about Dragon Quest Heroes, which ordinarily I would not cover a Musou game or as we would call it a Dynasty Warriors type game here on this podcast because usually they're pretty bad. But Dragon Quest Heroes obviously extends back to the original Dragon Quest. And not only that, it really borrows a lot more from the RPGs than I was expecting. Is that kind of your read on it, Bob? Yeah, I mean, I don't like Musou games at all, and I try to play them whenever there's a, whenever they have like a franchise I'm interested in. Like, I don't know, I'm not a huge fan of One Piece, but I kind of like it, and I tried the Musou game, and I was like, oh, it's just the same thing. But there's, I think there's a lot more work put into this than they normally would do, and I'm not sure if it was the same way with Hyrule Warriors, but that's what I've heard as well. Yeah, I played only a little bit of Hyrule Warriors, um, and. I, th I think Hyrule Warriors still hedged more toward a traditional Musou experience uh, outside of... There was kind of a neat little quest mode that was fun, but otherwise, structurally, it was very similar. Hmm. Um, this one is more like... So my experience with the Musou games is mostly with Dynasty Warrior Gundam, which not great games. I wouldn't recommend them. Um, but a lot of what you do in that game is you're picking random individual missions there's a very loose story you are kind of guarding control points a lot of the time occasionally you fight a boss it's pretty awkward um and then your goal is basically to collect as many mobile suits as possible which i guess is a gundam thing i can't speak for a lot of the other ones but i've always kind of come away a little bit cold um the one thing that jumped out at me about Dragon Quest Heroes, which I reviewed and you can find over on US Gamer, was just that it was a lot more focused experience. Um, you have characters from 
kind of a broad swath of Dragon Quest games. Um, there are characters from four, uh, four, five, six, and eight. I don't think. Yeah, it's actually it's actually not that broad. They they kind of ignore half the series. And I was just yeah. going over the characters uh, before we started. I was like, is there really no one from seven? Okay. Or one, two, and three. Interestingly enough. Yeah. At least, not to my knowledge, I couldn't find any. No, so. I looked at a roster list, and I, and I think they do ignore one, two, three, and seven, and, and nine. obviously ten and nine. Yeah, but I, there aren't really characters in like three and nine. But the characters that they do include, um, it's fun to see them. I mean, looking really good in this particular game because I think like characters like Bianca, we've the best we've gotten is like on the Nintendo DS, I think. So it's cool to see her like full 3D, like fully realized uh, uh, attack set. Um, the attacks and the magic and everything are very true to the characters. And I think the writing is true to the characters as well for the most part. Yeah, I do feel like it does follow the, the tradition of the the high standard of the localizations. It might be a, just like a little tiny bit worse but it's still better, way better than it could have been. I, I, I feel like there's maybe not as much money that went into this as went into, like, Dragon Quest VIII, for example. But it's still a great localization that still captures that, that spirit of the, um, of the new wave of Dragon Quest localizations. Yeah, I noticed that, too. Um, and in terms of production values, it's obvious that they were, yeah, like, Yuji Horii seemed to have been obviously very involved with this project. And I think... I think he definitely held them to a high standard versus, uh, versus maybe, I don't know, Gundam. Yeah. <laughs> Where they were like, well, just make the game and get it out there, whatever. Um, I don't think there have been a lot of inferior Dragon Quest products. I'm sure there's no. like some, a handful of like really bad games that never came over here that were spinoffs, but I feel like on the whole, that's a series that they know they, they were, they really are concerned about its reputation. They want it to remain like an institution. I remember there was a, maybe a first person game in Japan. Oh, Dragon Quest Swords. That came out for the Wii. That might be the one dark point. I saw that at the expo for 10 bucks. I'm like, should I? I've never played it, but I heard it was really bad. So yeah, I just contradicted myself. That's that's an example of a bad Dragon Quest spinoff. And there are people who are partial to Dragon Quest 10, but it seemed like it was kind of a retrograde MMORPG uh, that really did not take into account the advancements um, that had been kind of made in the genre over the years and was really grindy. Uh, and that might explain why it didn't come out here, uh, along with the fact that it was on a platform that where it had very little chance of being profitable given the infrastructure that was required. Oh, for sure. I mean, they eventually made a, a, D, uh, sorry, a 3DS and a PC uh, port. But again, I don't think that there's enough interest in an online Dragon Quest game here to justify a localization, even though I really wanted to at least try it, you know, just to see like how they transition that sort of gameplay into an MMO context. I, th I thought that it would come out on the Wii U, but it didn't. Yeah. So. I have some tweets like buried in my Twitter feed, like from years ago, like Dragon Quest uh, 10 coming 2013. I'll, I'll stake my life on it. But <laughs> I'm glad no one held me to that because I'm still alive. Yes, you are. Uh, in terms of Dragon Quest Heroes, um, a few things that jumped out at me, and I, I kind of put that in the review. One thing that um, 
Uh, one thing that they tend to do to save money, for example, is that they won't fully render um, a hub in a lot of their like Muso games. I'm referring to, I I believe the studios Omega Force. Um, they don't usually render it fully. Like they'll have talking heads with text boxes. Um, they'll have a lot of menus, that kind of thing, which makes sense. But in this one, this is a admittedly small detail, but I really like that they render out the hub where you can go out and just like actually talk to people to buy. Um, well, you can do a lot of things actually. You can buy items. You can sell, uh, you can sell stuff, um, like ingredients if you want. Um, you can forge items that have different, uh, stat points and that sort of thing. Um, so you like, you can craft an item and then you using ingredients and then you can merge those two items to get, um, a certain ability. Uh, there's actually, I, I'm not going to call it like deep or anything, but there is actually a fair amount of RPG like material in this game. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, they, they borrowed from the most uh, addictive, uh, most compelling, I think, um, newer Dragon Quest ideas like the alchemy pot and things like that. And, and there is a reason to uh, go back into missions to get um, items and things to combine. To, like you said, new new attacks, new moves, new uh, weapons and armor, things like that. I'll admit, I was a little bit disappointed by the story. Uh, I, I didn't expect it to be good. I, I mean, I, I've only played four or five hours, to be fair, and mm. I just was like, there, there's going to be some thinly veiled excuse to get all these characters together, mm. and that's all it's going to be, and I'm only playing this game, really, to see all of this Dragon Quest stuff rendered in on a current-gen system. I mean, that's the main appeal for me, and if the game is, like, slightly fun, that's cool, but I'm a huge Dragon Quest fan, and I, and I do want to see what everything looks like on the PS4, and it looks really good. Yeah, it looks fantastic. I mean... The first few minutes, actually, I mean, you can tell immediately that they've got it because there's that opening cutscene where you see the kingdom with all of the monsters hanging out with the people and they're doing all of the familiar Dragon Quest monster things. And you're like, oh, this is actually pretty cute. And the soundtrack is on point. They have all of the, 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 the right sound effects and everything. Um, and in a lot of ways, you could, count that as superficial and to some extent that it is because when it gets right down to it i mean it's still the hack and slash like kind of muso gameplay but it feels right it feels like a dragon quest game yeah i mean i i do think it it is not it's, it's very it is very unlike a dragon quest game but at the same time it is very much like a dragon quest game so they're walking a pretty thin line and i think they managed to get it right and this isn't this this is not necessarily making me interested in playing other muso games no nah. but um i i do enjoy this for what it is and it's not it's not crazy ambitious but it, it works just well enough for me to want to play it again because it's like what i wonder what like this enemy will look like on the ps4 or like what hmm. this character will look like and uh i do like these characters and I'm, and I'm glad to see them although i think they do lean i think they lean pretty hard on dragon quest 5 uh, don't they in this game uh or maybe not i mean I, it could be just split equally like the guy from six i don't even recognize because I, yeah. i've only like 20 hours in the six but yeah yeah uh there are a couple of characters from dragon quest 4 like who appear pretty early on um i think elena and uh her her buddy 
yeah the guy the, the rush the russian guy yeah and they did they did keep i like i'm not sure who localized the game well square enix obviously but they did stick to the um the standard set like eight seven or eight years ago with the with the dragon quest localizations like these characters are russian these characters are like british these characters are scottish whatever like they they were that faithful and they didn't need to be they could be like whatever like let's just localize this and get it out but no they um they did pay attention to those old standards which i'm really happy with one thing that was slightly disappointing no multiplayer that is weird, and I feel like the game could have um, much longer legs if there was multiplayer. And it's such a basic idea that I don't understand why there isn't. Um, yeah, like, it would be great to go online, and it would be more fun because you're, you are going to be doing a lot of grinding. It would be great to have somebody just pull someone into that so you have someone to play with. But as it stands, yeah, I, that is disappointing. Yeah, I agree. But there is a sequel coming out in Japan. Of course. And it will have multiplayer. Oh, wow. I need to look. I, okay. Man. And I, also, I want to I tell everybody, like, as a games journalist, I, I get too many games. And this, this is our curse, I guess. We're just buried in games all the time. But I did pay for a copy of Dragon Quest Heroes, so I, I deserve a trophy for that. But I, I put down money and I tweeted at Square Enix, like, here, I bought the game. Now please give us more of these. So I, I think if you buy the game, you should let Square Enix know. Because I, I think they're 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 always thinking about ways to bring these games over. They they do care. There are people there that care, and they're like thinking about crowdfunding. But I think they need to know there is an interest. So if you buy if you buy the game and you play it, I would tweet at them or at least let them know in some way. Yeah, it definitely helps for them to know. Um, I I'll admit that I had a slight fangirl moment that was probably unprofessional, but when during E three, um, I was interviewing one of the developers of Star Ocean, the new Star Ocean. And after the interview was done, I asked, could you, like, guys revisit Valkyrie Profile? And the, because this guy was from Triace, and he was like, Valkyrie Profile? Do, does anybody like that? The, <laughs> do, do people like Dr Valkyrie Profile? And I was like, yes. I certainly like Dr Valkyrie Profile a lot, and it, certainly, and it retains... Uh, People have fond memories of it. And he was like, huh, well, uh, tell them to tell us to, uh, make the game. And because to be honest, like, that's the only way that, like, we're going to get approval is if, uh, developers hear or the executives hear a groundswell of support and go, oh, this thing is going to actually sell and it's worth us putting the money and time into developing it. Sure. Okay. Uh, that's why they're making Star Ocean, because they thought, oh, Star Ocean's like the the only game that will sell globally. Valkyrie Profile, pff, they don't care about it in the U.S., which to an extent is true, because it hasn't sold super well over here. Yeah, but. and there's only been three games, right? Uh, yes, and the second one was good, but also not as good as the original, and the third one was kind of weird. It was a yeah. tactical RPG for the DS. Um, and I mean, I mean, just look at what happened last year though with Final Fantasy Type Zero, which everybody assumed was all but dead, but then, I mean, not to like toot our own horn too much, but Jeremy ran that interview, um, about Final Fantasy Type Zero and that brown with it brought with it a nice little swell of support and letter writing to Square Enix and they were like, oh, Okay, uh, sure, let's make an HD version, and bam, we got that, so. That is true. So, yeah, it just goes to show that if 
executives hear you, then there's a much better chance. Um, even though people like to be cynical and go, oh, well, they're not looking, well, they're not listening to what the pu- the public is saying or whatever. But mm-hmm. in any case, do you think that if Dragon Quest here, this is speculation time, a lot of people are calling Dragon Quest Heroes kind of the last chance for the series in the U.S. Agree or disagree? Um, if it is a last chance, I don't think it's the last chance forever until the end of time, but it could be the last chance for a while. Definitely. I'll be and, really surprised if um, Eleven doesn't come out here. Yeah, and I, I still am holding out hopes that like the Seven will be like a last minute, like final 3DS release, like how Xenoblade or whatever came out on the Wii, like as it was dying. But we don't have a lot of time left, and I know that because I just collected my final uh, Street Pass piece. Like, usually when I collect my final piece, and I'm just like, okay, okay, there'll be, there'll be more puzzles coming. But now it gave me, like, a, like, an award, like a trophy, so I'm guessing there won't be any more, and the 3DS is, like, on life support. So there's wow. a very limited window of time, but I, I'm still uh, holding out hope. Maybe I'm naive, but I really want Dragon Quest VII, a, a more playable version of that massive, beastly game um, that I can actually deal with this time. Well, the Wii's any guide. I mean, do you remember with the Wii, like, Nintendo just started throwing random stuff out? Exactly. Like, that. that's what, like, there's always a surprise just when you think the system is dead. And I'm hoping that'll be it. But there are all, there are a lot of games that aren't released in America for the 3DS. So who knows, like, which one of which one of those games they'll pull to uh, give us. But, yeah, I, I still am holding out hope for that. Yeah, let's hope that Dragon Quest Seven comes out. Speaking of... Uh, you were talking about buying the game with your own money and you having too many games, which, yeah, that's a thing with all game journalists. But I happen to have a collector's edition of Dragon Quest Heroes sitting right here. Ooh, I like it. Yes. And I will give it away to one of you who are listening to this episode and you're wondering, how can I get a hold of this game collector's, slime collector's edition that has like all of this neat stuff in it? And I'm kind of like rotating it around. Like there's a game and there's a whole bunch of DLC and apparently a collectible treasure chest and a slime keychain. A five inch slime plush toy draws near apparently. So, <laughs> uh, lots of like fun little things in this thing. So we're going to run a mailbag next week. And I want questions, so people who send me the so the person who sends me the best question, either on Twitter at the underscore catbot, on Facebook where I will be posting this, or to email where you can reach me at cat.bailey at usgamer.net, will have their question read on the podcast, and they will get this slime collector's edition. So start sending me your questions, and I will answer them. But in any case, um, I think final thoughts on Dragon Quest Heroes. I, I didn't play Dragon Quest here. I didn't play Dragon Quest until about five years ago. I think it's one of those series that has been kind of missed in the U.S. I really like the world. It's, it's great. You know, it's, it has a, just a, a wonderful different vibe to it. And I often wonder if it's struggled over here because if it's almost kind of fairy tale nature goes against the sort of the preference for a harder edged anime. Do you ever want th- feel like that, Bob? Oh, yeah, I definitely think so. It's not quite as like self-serious and technically impressive as Final Fantasy, 
but it's not quite as anime as like a tales game it's like it's stuck in this uncomfortable middle ground that is not immediately appealing to like certain demographics so I do sense there is a struggle there for them to get it off the ground here. And I mean, it's not as much of an institution here, but there there is some knowledge about it here. But unfortunately, it just it goes away like every five years. And I think in America, like we went most of the 90s. I think we went like a good eight years without uh, seeing a single Dragon Quest release. So those fallow periods really hurt the series. I sort of feel like it hasn't helped and... It hasn't helped that it's been marginalized to a handheld, and I hate using that word, but like it or not, there exists a perception in this country that if a game is released on handheld, it is not as important somehow. And the last console release of Dragon Quest was on the PlayStation 2, on Dragon Quest 8, in like 2005? It was 2005, yeah. 2005 which is now a decade and then after that you had the three the ds really remakes and you had dragon quest 9 on the ds and then you had the mobile games which I mean, well 10 was a console game but we never saw it yeah it never came out here uh so for i think the average consumer out of sight out of mind right um yeah and, and maybe, I, maybe the nx uh if it does come here on NX, maybe that could change it or turn it around because, you know, that that is uh, Dragon Quest Eleven is headed to the NX, correct? Uh, yes, okay. and the PS4. I thought so. And so, the PS4, yeah. So that could yeah. that could restore its esteem in the eyes of consum- consumers. Like, oh, this is this is no longer you're no longer you're no longer going to think this is disposable. It never was, but now it's like has the prestige of being on a console. So I like to think that. Um. I like to think that, well, Nino Kuni, when it came out on the PlayStation 3, it got, it had buzz, it had groundswell <laughs> here in the US. Yeah, it In did. a way that I haven't seen for a lot of JRPGs, cause people are like, oh, I gotta celebrate this thing, or I gotta support this thing, look how pretty this game is. And Nino Kuni wasn't even that good a game. It wasn't. Like, and, uh, and I hated to ruin people's fun, but it kind of annoyed me when that game came out. Like, JRPGs are back. It's like, no, they're, they've always been here. You just weren't paying attention. I'm sorry. If people were to... like, people were like, I got to support this game or there might not be any more. And I'm like, I, I think you'll be fine. Yeah. Just go over to your 3DS and there's some good games over there. Yeah. They might not look as good, but they're a lot more fun than a pretty bad Pokemon clone. And if you want to argue with me about that, I definitely will because I wrote a review of it. And uh, yeah, it's 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 a pre- it, it could be worse. It's just like astoundingly mediocre for the the prestige that's attached to it, like the Ghibli license, uh, the I believe Alexander O. Smith translation or Richard Honey something I forget. Sorry, one of the one of the mega great Square Enix uh, localizers handled it, and it and it has like it has like the pedigree of like a Dragon Quest translation too. So. Yeah, I felt like so much so much effort was wasted on a game that wasn't very good. I think Dragon Quest Eleven will be good. I'm hoping it will. And by virtue of being, uh, and I hate being a console snob, but being on the PlayStation 4, which has a pretty good install base and a pretty wide install base, like it encompasses a wide variety of tastes, I think that Dragon Quest Eleven, like, this might be like the big chance for Dragon Quest to really be successful here. Yeah, it only took thirty years. So, or for God's sake, put it on Steam. 
Yeah, I, yeah. I think I think Japan is just waking up about that. Uh, the, at least, at least, no, no. Uh, Square Enix definitely knows what Steam is now, and I wouldn't be surprised if that was a thing. If that actually happens, because we're seeing a lot of high-profile Final Fantasy games come to Steam, so I, I am actually confident about that. Well, the problem with Steam was that for a long time it was really out of sight, out of mind in Japan. And it's only just recently, I believe, that Steam has started supporting Japanese currency. Uh, so now people are finally taking notice of it over there. It's been kind of an infrastructure thing, so that might kind of explain why it's had a harder time. Or uh, Japanese developers who have not really been aware of Steam have not kind of understood its glo- global impact, but I think that's changed quite a bit. Yeah, lots of lots and lots of Capcom games are on Steam too. Not enough. Like it, it makes total sense for Phoenix Wright or Ace Attorney to be on Steam, but that hasn't happened yet. I'm just curious as to like you you're, you guys are missing out on so much money. Every visual novel on Steam is like porn. You could have the one non-porn visual novel on Steam <laughs> and stand out that way. Like they're really missing out on um, you know an opportunity. I think. Yeah, and I would totally play. Uh, I would totally play Ace Attorney on Steam. <clears throat> I have it on every other freaking platform at this point. It seems perfect. It's such a low-effort game in terms of what it's doing that it could not be hard to put that on a PC. But in terms of... I mean, you kind of saw... It's a little bit different, but you kind of saw that when Monster Hunter actually went came out on a platform that a lot of people own versus the PSP, which the PSP is a fine platform, don't get me wrong. I like the PSP a lot. It was a great JRPG platform. But just not enough people had it over here. Once it came out on the 3DS, like, oh, look, Monster Hunter 4 Ultimate was like the best uh, and most successful Monster Hunter to date over here in the U.S. I mean, how much better would it be doing if it actually came out on a mainstream console or PC where it, it yeah. had really good online capabilities? There is there is like a weird Chinese version of Monster Hunter that it, that does look really really good. And I think it's slightly different than the original than the, than the main series, but that's only on PC in China. And there's there's weird things like with Capcom, like there's a Dragon's Dogma free to play JRPG mm. only mm. on PC, I believe, and only in Japan. And you can't, like, hack your way into it because there's, like, IP checks and things like that. So they do, like, these weird experiments, but not in the places I think they would make more sense. Yeah. Monster Hunter was just always a a really frustrating thing because there's a mania for co-op here in the U.S. And it just felt like there was a real missed opportunity to be able to, to really, you know, put the series front and center and... It's managed to build up a pretty loyal fan base here, but it's still kind of a cult thing. Yeah, it is. I, I think it's a little too dense to be that popular, but I don't want it to change. Well, you like Monster Hunter. Oh, yeah, I love it. But it definitely right. isn't a pick-up-and-play game. It's a, it's a pick-up-and-have-it-break-your-spirit-for-30-hours-until-you-get-it like kind of game. Oh, yeah, that sounds about right. Um, I was enjoying it when I was playing it, but I... I like my friends who play it all live in the East Bay and I didn't particularly that's the kind of game that I would rather be playing in person um rather than playing um rather than playing online over Skype or whatever mm. so um it kind of fell by the wayside and I haven't played it so much 
Before we go, are you playing any RPGs or are you looking forward to any any other RPGs the rest of the year? Oh boy, uh, I want to play Yokai Watch. I'm reviewing it. Oh. And uh, I never really liked Level 5's RPGs that weren't Dragon Quest. Hmm. So, uh, and I did like Fantasy Life, even though I had some problems. So I'm wondering if this will turn it around for me. But I do hear it is very much for children. In a, mm-hmm. in a way that goes uh, a little lower than po- what Pokemon is aspiring to do. So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm just hoping it's not too simplistic. But I like uh, I like the world. I like the, what the characters look like. I don't like the anime theme song. It's pretty bad. But uh, yeah, I, I... I just, I just want to know, like, Japan is crazy about this and why, what, what is it about this thing and, and will it translate to America? That's, all, that's what I want to know. I played it yesterday and oh. I can talk about it. Is, is it. Wait, oh, okay. Well, there should be a demo by the time this goes out, right? I know I can pl- talk about it. Oh, well, there's a demo as of this recording. There's a demo online, right? There you go. Yeah, I think so. But yes, I have played it, and um, it is pretty kitty. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, like, and it's it's a little odd. Be- well, and when I say kitty, I mean just the way it's like bright colors, big buttons, like pretty simple uh, concepts, like. The kid is very much a little kid. Uh, it's definitely not dense in the way that Pokemon can get dense. Um, and, you know, when you're in battles, right, the way it works is you have six monsters and you're kind of rotating them around by rotating this little thing on your touch screen. And they, t- they attack automatically. And what you're doing is you're waiting for them to charge up their, like, super attack. And then you use it, you do some damage or whatever. And the super attack is like, okay, uh, tap the screen a lot or draw a little pattern or something oh, like so that. Oh, so there's like mini games baked into it. Okay. Yeah. And then, um, when your characters are getting hurt, you like rotate in your healer and there's some passive abilities. I think the main thing that jumps out of my, about me at Yokai Watch is it's pretty. Like it's a really good looking 3DS game, which is kind of what you expect from uh, from a level five game and I think that it's grabbed on and it, it it's caught on in Japan because level five is just really freaking good at marketing its stuff they are. right and like, I think we're, we're kind of in a weird spot with yokai watch because there's already two games out in Japan and uh, the yokai watch busters I believe are like yokai busters which is like a ghostbusters parody slash RPG <laughs> And, and like, the same thing with happened with Inazuma 11. There's, like, so many games, and we got one of them. And it's just weird. Like, I wonder if we're going to ever play catch-up with either of those series. Well, I'm sure that if Yokai Watch is a hit, then yeah. Yeah. There's a, um, there's a lot to draw from. I mean, there's a lot of games out in Japan to uh, pick up if you, if you speak the language. But, yeah, we're getting the first one that's a little over two years old. I'm curious to see how it does here in the sense that... Yokai Watch is very much geared toward kids. And I don't personally plan to play it because it feels a bit young for me. Well, a lot of kids here play mobile. And it's the same in Japan. Uh, a lot more kids now play mobile. More kids play mobile now, obviously, than, say, 1998 when Pokemon came out, where Game Boy was the cho- the platform of choice for young kids just getting into it. And I'm wondering how many kids who would be the ideal age for Yokai Watch will have a 3DS. That's a really and, good point, yeah. And will have their parents spend $30 to buy this game. It 
Pokemon has managed to remain really popular here in the U.S. for a long time because not only does it appeals to all ages, like truly appeals to all ages, like it's deep enough and interesting enough, mechanically intricate enough for adults, and it's fun and goofy and you're collecting all the monsters if you're a little kid. So uh, we'll see, I guess. Um, I think that if this thing were on mobile, it would be killing it. Oh, for sure. Yeah, definitely. I, I do think kids are gravitating more towards, uh, you know, mobile stuff just because you can do everything on it, obviously. And uh, yeah, it does seem like the 3DS over here is more for the hardcore adult gamer. Isn't that weird? Yeah. I mean, I guess not really if you think about it, but it does seem strange that that is um, that's the current reality. I guess. Am I so out of touch? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's the children. I uh, no, it's the children who are wrong. Um, I. I was just looking at my my iPhone last night because I got an iPhone success. So I was like looking at some games to download for it. And for this ongoing series I'm writing called iOS Games for People Who Hate iOS. Um, that's my plug for it, by the way. Um, and I, you know, the thing that's inescapable about it is that all of the licensed games that would have come out on the ds a decade ago they're all mobile now (laughs) like that's how you know like the big shift has happened like you know stuff like minions all of the minions stuff is on mobile now whereas 10 years ago you'd be playing some crappy minions platformer that's true on the nintendo ds does move all the trash away from the library it does it does make the library very small but it's fun to like go to those retro cons and look at like a huge like shelf full of ds games and be like there is literally a ds game for every reality show i've never seen and didn't even know existed until now hannah montana barbie yeah uh nickelodeon spongebob squarepants you name it pretty much I mean, that's what the GBA feasted on for so long in THQ. Like, like Nickelodeon was THQ's bread and butter, and, like, all of those games were on the GBA. Oh, for sure. But, oh, well. Yeah, so anyway, I hate to be a downer on Yokai Watch, but that's kind of my read on it. Yeah, even if I don't like it, I'm going to, like, have the caveat, like, maybe this isn't for a 33-year-old man, you know? <laughs> Just maybe. Not everything is for me, so, Maybe. Yeah. Just Maybe. But in any case, I think we're going to wrap it up here. Bob, do you have anything you want to plug and or social media, etc.? Oh, yeah. You can find me on Twitter as Bob Servo, and I recommend you listen to Retronauts. And if you've never listened and you're listening to this, uh, check out the Dragon Quest episode, which is really fun. And I also do a Simpsons podcast called Talking Simpsons, which is a chronological exploration of The Simpsons. We just started Season 2, which is free to the public. Season 1 is behind a Patreon paywall, and that's at lasertimepodcast.com, or just find it wherever you download podcasts. Uh, for, for my money, by the way, Simpsons, Season 2 is when Simpsons really gets good. It is good. We did we did manage to salvage Season 1. Like We, we were going into it thinking this is going to be rough, but uh, there are there's a lot of fun to be had in those early early episodes, too. Nice. Um, I, yeah, no, season two is a bit underrated, but in any case, yeah, go listen to it. It's Laser Time does really high quality stuff. I actually like them. And they are great guys. I say as someone who happens to be friends with the people who creates it, but in any case, um, and of course, you can find me on the underscore catbot on Twitter. Uh, drop me a line if you want to talk to me at cat.bailey at usgamer.net. Um, and of course, keep an eye on our website. Um, and if you want to win that 
Dragon Quest uh, Heroes Slime Collector's Edition. Send in your questions for next week's mailbag. Until then, for Bob, um, I've been Cat Bailey, and happy adventuring. Bye.